today, I would like for us to take two different passages of Scripture. So I'm going to give you a little bit of time to find them. The first one is Galatians chapter 5. And the second one is the book of Acts chapter 8. Galatians 5 and Acts 8. Actually, we'll be in the latter part of chapter 7 in the book of Acts also. As you turn to those places, just keep both of them. We'll start in the book of Galatians. But uh, I want to just kind of begin this morning by laying out a, a truth for us. This world uh, has many opportunities for us to understand that, that good battles evil. Or in the terms of our sermon title today and the way I will talk about it is that light battles the darkness. And, and that kind of comes home for us that as, as followers of Jesus Christ, as children of God who have accepted the sacrifice of who Jesus is and the life that he gives us accordingly, then we, we live our lives in this constant battle against the forces of evil in the heavenly realms, as the book of Ephesians says. And so I, I just kind of want to let that sit for a few moments, and we're going to return to it shortly. But let, let me give you a couple of examples I don't know how many of you in this particular crowd are, are familiar with the Marvel Universe. Marvel Universe is not some, you know, something contrary to the, our universe. The Marvel Universe is really grew out of comic books and graphic novels, and the entertainment industry figured out that this battle of good versus evil, light versus darkness, is quite profitable. And so through the years... Uh, mainly the time that my kids were teenagers all the way through today, there's been this constant feed of movies in the Marvel Universe. So you've heard of Captain America, perhaps. Uh, in my generation, it was Sergeant Rock, those of you who read comic books. But in these days, it's uh, Captain America and uh, was it Doctor Strange? Or, you know, so you got all of these different super char superhero characters. Because the entertainment industry knows that if you make those movies, people are going to go. We know inherently that there's this battle against darkness. And if you don't know the Marvel Universe and those characters, I'll take you back to literature because our literature specialists through the years also have been fascinated with chronicling this development of good versus evil, light versus the dark. And so if you were to read that classic novel, To Kill a Mockingbird. I had no clue when I started reading that a few years ago that it really was not about a mockingbird at all. What a fascinating story, though, about the development of thought and this, this constant battle in our society. Good versus evil. Light battling the darkness. Isn't it true that nobody really understands battling darkness like Christians do. I know that we get into problems when we start comparison, making comparison statements like that and saying that nobody gets it like we get it, but nobody gets it like we get it. It's one thing to go sit through a two-hour movie where you have superheroes battling these supervillains, and you come out and you know ahead of time how it's going to turn out. But in the Christian life, every day we are engaged in spiritual warfare, and we know how it ends, but we don't know how we end in the midst of that battle sometimes. We should understand 
that this is a very real thing. Battling the darkness is a very real thing for us in the Christian life. And so as we come to that and understand that, the question that I want to try to at least provide a few answers for today is how do we proceed in our everyday life understanding that every day we are about the process of battling darkness? So Paul gives us the first answer. Actually, Paul's in both of these passages today. To be sure, when we're in Acts chapter 7 and into verse uh, chapter 8, uh, Paul is, is he's one letter off from being Paul. He's one letter off, but he's a whole life away from being the Paul of the New Testament. We pick him up as Saul in Acts, in Acts chapter 7 and 8, and Saul eventually will have this life-altering encounter with Jesus Christ. He will be transformed by the power of God and the blood of Jesus. And in, in that, he becomes the primary figure of the book of Acts as we go forward. Not the only one, but he's the one that Luke will focus on from this point forward in our study of Acts. By the time we get over to the book of Galatians, Paul has been, he's been around the theological block or time or two by then. And he writes this book of Galatians to speak into a culture that is still stuck in some religious hang-ups. And he gives us some clarity about how to battle the darkness. So we begin in Galatians chapter 5. Let me go ahead and give you the short answer on the first way that we battle darkness in our everyday lives. You ready? We need to be filled appropriately. F-I-L-L-E-D. We must be filled appropriately. Galatians 5, Paul is giving us a contrast. He's saying to those Galatian Christians, and he's saying to us, uh, as, he, as he argues against trusting in our works and in our flesh to get us in some kind of favor with God, he pushes us to Jesus Christ, but he makes this contrast. Let me just give you the first two verses of chapter 5, verses 16 and 17, this little passage, and understand what he's saying. Verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Let me just pause there and let's restate that. What Paul is saying is this idea of being able to be filled with the Spirit of God and walk with Jesus in an ever-transformational kind of experience is not compatible with living for yourself, living to accomplish your own desires. He's saying here you can't really do both. I think it's important that we recognize Paul's addressing this to Christian people. That's going to come in really handy for us here in just a moment or so. Paul's not really drawing a distinction between people who are lost and people who are saved. Paul's saying to Christian people, you cannot honor God with your everyday life if you are living to your base desires in life. You need to be filled with the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, as he says. That sounds simple enough. I suppose that there's probably an argument that could say, okay, preacher, we get it. Let's go to lunch. But Paul says a little more than just that. That's his overview statement. 
And so we come and we pick up now in the next few verses and look, look at what he says, verses 19 through 21. Paul says, now the works of the flesh are evident. And then there's a colon there. Let me take you back to your grammar. You know what happens when they put a colon in there? <laughs> in this case, it means you better, you better be ready because everything he says after that explains what's before that colon. So back to it. Verse 19, once again. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. And so now he's going to give us a list. Now, stop before I go. In. Some of you are reading ahead. Let me stop you for a minute. I want you to do something that psychologists tell us you cannot do. Let's prove them wrong. I want you to think about two things at the same time. I want you to think as I read through this, I want you to think about how you see these, the, these characteristics how you see them outside the walls of the church, how you see them in the world, in our culture of this day. In woke America, how much of this do you see? Simultaneously, I want you to lay over that, how much of this do you see in you? Now, some of you are going, just let me off the hook because I'm going to be thinking about the people out there rather than about me. So try to, try to do both. I'll read slowly enough that you can kind of bounce between those two. For the desires of the flesh are thus. Sexual immorality. You see that out there? Impurity. Sensuality. Idolatry. Sorcery. Enmity. I'll, I'll pause and let you Google that real quick. Strife. Jealousy. Fits of anger. Rivalries. Dissensions. Divisions. Envy. Drunkenness. Orgies and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Let me just pause and let's make sure that we keep that straight. Paul is writing to Christian people. He's writing to the Galatian Christians who have made that profession of faith in Jesus Christ. Their theology is pretty well jacked up and he's writing to them to kind of train them out of that and to give them good basic theological truth. But he is writing to Christian people. So let's not just dismiss all of this as if that whole list that he just gave us is not a problem for Christian people just because he says in verse at the end of verse 19, for those... Uh, who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's not saying they cannot be Christians. He's saying that the kingdom of God, life in the kingdom, is not compatible with these characteristics. In other words, if as a Christian you're buying into any individual one of those on that list or multiple ones, you will not experience life in the kingdom the way he designed it to be. That's a huge distinction because a lot of times Christians see that, especially that reference to the kingdom there, and they go, oh, well, he's talking about somebody else. I don't have to worry about that. I am saved. I am my fire insurance policy in place, and when I die, I'm going to heaven. If you know Jesus Christ, that's a true statement. 
It's a little bit callous to call it a fire insurance policy, quite frankly. But how much of what we do in the name of evangelism is try to get people into heaven and not worry about getting heaven into people? So it's an interesting statement that Paul's making here. He doesn't let us off the hook just because we've been saved by grace. So, what do we do with that? Let, let me do this. Here's a statement. Darkness is exemplified in everyday life in our world. Works of the flesh and the trickle-down effect of that is everywhere we look. This week, another horrific attack on people. This time it seems to be more horrific because it's attack on little people, children. And our world, please hear me carefully now, our community has been through this. I, I called that church and tried to get a hold of their pastor and had to just leave a message. I can only imagine how busy he is. And I called him on Monday night and said, look, uh, our community's been through something like this. I know a little bit about what you're going through. Our church is here for you. If we can be of any help to you, let us be of help. I'm here also if I can be of any help. Can you imagine? And part of us say, yeah, we sort of can imagine because we've been through that. Imagine the depth of anguish in Uvalde, Texas today. We don't have to look very far to see the effects of darkness in our society. But I'm going I'm to just be as blunt as I can be. I don't care which political part of the spectrum you fit into. I don't. If you don't agree with me, you're wrong, and that's just how it is. <laughs> but is, is that not the way our political discussions go. And so, please hear me, as blunt as I can be, maybe there are, maybe there is room for political discussion out there, but here's, here's what I never hear in the political discussions. It's the Jesus question. This world is marked by darkness because this world needs Jesus. At the center of the fix for this horrible trend we have of shooting each other up or cutting each other up or running over people or choking people out. There are all kinds of ways that we kill one another. Most of the time it's with our tongues. We need Jesus in this society. And we're not exempt from that inside the church. You know why I say that? Because Paul gave us a whole list of darkness that's inside the church. So what I want to do now is I want to take that truth and let's overlay what we've been studying in the book of Acts and let's see where what we have in the book of Acts surfaces in Paul's list, okay? So just hang on to Galatians 5. We're going to especially be in verse 20 the rest of the time off and on. But I want to go back now to the book of Acts and let's read what we have in Acts 7, 54 through 8, 3. And as I'm reading this, I want you to listen for some of those things that Paul talked about over in Galatians 5. So we begin reading verse 54, Acts chapter 7. And now when they had heard these things, they were enraged 
And they ground their teeth at him, that is Stephen. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea, or regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. What do we see in those verses as it relates to the mob and to Saul, who would become Paul? Where do we see them and their actions in Paul's list of the deeds of the flesh? Well, let's start with the hard one. Well, they're all hard if they happen to be yours. Verse 54. And now when they heard these things, they were enraged. It's an interesting term. It's an interesting word picture that we get now from this. Enraged literally means to be ripped or to, at your heart level, be cut through. We might use an English term here to say they were furious. Imagine, if you will, a two-year-old throwing a temper tantrum. You seen those? If not, we have some parents with two-year-olds who would love to send that child home with you today. <laughs> We're furious. We actually have a better term. In woke America today, we have a term that we can use for this. It, it is the term triggered. You understand that term in woke society? Triggered means somebody says something or does something that you don't like or that you can't put up with, it offends your sensibilities. And so it triggers you to lash out, to respond aggressively. And so we find that. I just mentioned a couple of those in our early service to, to, as it relates to what triggers people out there. And so when Christians start talking about the Word of God as trustworthy in our everyday lives, it triggers some people. How can you believe that? Okay, now how we respond to them, that tends to trigger us when they respond that way. And so we get all defensive. And I had a conversation yesterday with a great guy. He's, he's becoming part of our family. And uh, so I was, we were at a graduation party for our great niece in, uh, in Odessa. And, and he, he he's honestly asked me this question. He said, you know, he said, I, I want to believe but he said, there's stuff in the Bible. I just don't know. I, I don't know how to believe that. And you know, I know people in church circles, pastors especially, 
to hear somebody say, I'm just not sure I can trust God's Word. It just triggers them. And I mean, they go off and they give them not just what the Bible says, they give them how it was all put together and all that kind of stuff and give them this full meal deal answer that was not even part of the question that was being asked. Be careful that you don't get triggered and pulled in in an emotional kind of way into discussions that are genuine questions that deserve good answers. So things trigger people out there, but things trigger people in here as well. What was it that triggered these people in Acts 7? You ready for this? Hang on. This is going to get real. They were triggered, enraged, it says, furious, because Stephen said a couple of things that violated their religious sensitivities. There's a world of lesson in that for us as God's people. You see, they, they, and here's the interesting thing, that some of what it is that bothers them in this, they're right about, some of it. But they, they get really worked up by the fact that Stephen says that the, the heaven's open and I, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And then he, ta- he says more in there, and it's blasphemy as far as they're concerned. So they take the proper steps tied to blasphemy, which is to take somebody outside the camp and stone them to death. By the way, they didn't do that with everybody. They just did it with him because they were triggered and they were mad. But they didn't realize that their sensitivities were not necessarily firmly based in Scripture. And so the man that they take out to stone to death happens to be God's man for the hour. Let's hear that as we go through the Christian life and we do our life in fellowship and in gatherings with one another, that we recognize that we can get enraged about things that cause us to kill people, either literally or figuratively. I, I think that one of the, back, back to the, the political debates of our day relative to these mass shootings that we have, we, we ask the question, how can somebody do that? I, I don't hear anybody talking about the lack of love for one another. And so when we start in darkness with this lack of, of love for one another, and then in our discussions and in our demeanor and in our reporting and in all of those things, all the political rhetoric of our day, it just ramps up the emotional anxiety in our society. And we're always right here just on the cusp of somebody blowing up. Everybody can't handle that stuff like you handle that stuff. And some people snap. So maybe we ought to just take the whole tone down all the way across the board and see Jesus in that somewhere. What are we filled with? Now, that being said, let me go back to this and help you understand this one word. They were enraged. Back in Galatians 5.20, here's the way Paul says it. As he's listing these off, 
he says, fits of anger. All right. I know that's all been a little bit heavy, so let's take a step back. Let me show you kind of how I think this plays out in everyday life. I told you a while back that I am a recovering angerholic. Y'all remember that? Hello? You out there? Say, recovering angerholic. In other words, uh, I've known, especially as a child going through my teenage years and as a young adult, had some real anger issues. Uh, and so God's had to, through the years, he's had just kind of, you know, use sandpaper or sometimes a saw and occasionally a hammer to beat that out of me. And I'm still a work in progress. I'm a recovering angerholic. You know what I've found since I've been here? Some of you are recovering angerholics too. And some of you aren't in recovery yet. And you should be. So let me use a very embarrassing example from my background. Some of you have heard this. Some of you have not. When we were in South Texas and I had just been made senior pastor of that church that I had been serving for a while at that point, uh, we, Teresa and I were working with a bunch of college students. And so we would have them at our house and we would do things and, you know, just trying to minister to them. And we had this girl who had been reached through, by, through some of our other kids and she came in and she was, she didn't have a whole lot of tools to deal with some real emotional issues that she was going through. Her parents were going through a divorce. Uh, she was living with her dad and it was a tough situation. And uh, to the point that I had struck up a friendship with him and I was trying to minister to him and help him come to know Jesus Christ. And, uh, and so that was kind of going on. But at that same time, we had, okay, so most of us in this service remember this. I had to explain it to the early service, okay? You remember the days when if you had a phone, it was stuck at home all the time? You couldn't take it with you. So it was during that time. We had cell phones then, but they were like suitcases you had to carry around with you. So, so we had this home phone, and we, we fell into this pattern where somebody was calling us in the middle of the night, 1.30, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock. And when they would call, it would obviously wake me up. I'd answer the phone. You know as a pastor, when the phone rings at 3 o'clock in the morning, it's not good, right? So I'd answer the phone, hello, and they would hang up. Never say a word. Now, here's additional part of that. I'm one of those guys that when I fall asleep and then wake up, even if it's only been 30, 40 minutes or an hour, I, I'm just up. I might as well be up and go to work because I can't go back to sleep. And so after several nights in a row of this, let's see, what's the right word? It triggered me. And I started thinking of all the creative ways that I could teach this person not to do that. I even asked around. One guy said, if you'll get a whistle, and as soon as you answer the phone, don't say a word, just blow that whistle into the, into the mouthpiece of that phone. I thought, I thought, well, but he's hanging up, or she or whoever it is is hanging up. And so I, I just had, all I was left with was my thoughts, which were very much a fleshly level kind of thinking process. And I thought of all of the ways that I could teach them the ways of the Lord. And so somebody in the midst of that, this continued on for weeks, and so, so somebody in the midst of that said, you know that on your phone, this is the landline phone, that you can, when you do that and hang up again, you can hit star six something, and it, it will call back the number that just called you. And I went, gotcha. 
So in my head, I'm going, I'm going to get you now. I'm going to call you every night, okay? So sure enough, within a day or so, they called, did the same thing, hung up. I jerked that phone back up. It hit star six, whatever, and the phone started ringing, and the voice of a man on the other side answered, hello? And I just told him everything that he needed to know. And when I finished that, I heard this guy in a very sleepy voice say, Sir, I'm so sorry. He said, I don't know what you're talking about. I have a, I have a college age daughter that lives here. I'll talk to her, but I, I really don't know. I'm sorry, uh, but it's not me. And as he was talking, I recognized his voice. Did you know that if you hit star six something else, it calls the same number you had called last. Y'all are very perceptive people. And so the last phone call I had made was to the home of that guy that I was trying to talk to about Jesus Christ to help him through his marriage and his daughter who was struggling and all of that. And it dawned on me on the phone that that's what I had as he hung up. And the Holy Spirit said, James 1, 20. You know what that says? I'd been studying that. James 1.20 says, but the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. I'm not proud of that. But here's what I want you to get. If anger is part of your everyday life and you're not submitting that to the authority of the Holy Spirit in your life, you're going to do damage to people. Just so you know how that story ends up, I didn't sleep the rest of the night. I got up before daylight. I went and parked my car in front of that guy's house waiting for him to come out to go to work so that I could apologize to him and explain to him that I was a jerk. I don't know why it's so easy for people in the church of Jesus Christ today to accept the desires of the flesh as if they're okay. These people kill God's man of the hour, Stephen, because they were enraged over offended religious sensibilities that were off base. They also closed their ears, it says. Let me finish that last statement by saying, as a rule, emotion that takes charge in our everyday Christian life, emotionalism tends to not be healthy for the church. So that pushes us to this closed ears, verse 57. This, I, I love this passage. Verse 57, but they cried out with a loud voice and they stopped their ears. I had a friend of mine, he's a banker actually, president of a bank somewhere in Big Rapids, or last I heard was in Big Rapids, Michigan. Uh, and Dan was a guy that was so much fun, just a great guy, one of deacons in our church. But he had this way, if people started saying stuff he didn't want to hear, he would stick his fingers in his ears, literally, and start going, la, 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 la. Now, you got to know, we triggered him every chance we got to see him do that. He just didn't want to hear it. That's this picture. And I'm out of time, so I'm going to just kind of cut to the chase on this one. But what happened is they heard things 
that in their religious sensibilities, they had good grounds, they thought, to take this posture. But what happens when you're trying to engage someone with the gospel of Jesus Christ, especially if it's causing problems inside the church, people start glazing over and don't listen, then that discussion's over, and you never make progress past that. You ever known that? You ever known anybody that while you're talking to them, they just check out? They hear something they don't want to hear, and they, it's just like glazing over. They check out, and discussion is over, and so is progress. That's what happened here, and it made it easier for them to kill God's man. Let's go to the last part of this so that you can see the correlation of what Paul does. Galatians chapter 5, go back over there with me because Paul is setting here a contrast. He begins with those two verses that I first read that give you the overview of it. And now he comes and he's listed for us those characteristics of the desires of the flesh when we allow them to take reign in our lives. And then he comes and he gives the positive side. So 5.22, it says this, Galatians 5, uh, verse 22. But, well, let me just stop there. That word... Three-letter word right there means but. It's a hard stop in an argument or a discussion. It, it's, it's one of those uh, linguistic tools that causes us to switch lanes. So he's given us this long list of things that are not evidence of being filled with the Spirit, and they're negative implications in the local church and beyond, and then he uses the word but. But, total lane switch now, we, can, we continue reading, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, do these describe your life? That's the question you ought to be asking yourself. Faithfulness, gentleness, self... No, let's leave that one out. <laughs> Self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. What I said at the beginning of this message, I'll drive home now. If you choose to battle darkness in your Christian life, be appropriately filled. Not with the works of the flesh, not with the desires of the flesh, but with the Spirit of God. That list of the fruit of the Spirit, that looks great when it's cross-stitched and framed and hung on a wall in a house. It looks so much better when it's lived out in everyday life. And Stephen embodies those things through this process. If you go back, and I don't have time to go back and look at it over, for him, but you can go back and do that. Take those two verses that I just read, overlay them on top of that passage where Stephen is in his final part of his defense, and what you find there is a very Jesus-like response to his murder. For instance, Jesus, uh, Jesus said... You know, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Stephen says, what does he say? Yeah, don't, don't hold this sin against them. Let me just tell you that if you're killing me, I ain't praying for you. 
bad English, but it's honest. <laughs> if I do, it's not going to be that prayer unless I happen to be filled with the Spirit at that time. You see what love does? You see what kindness and gentleness and self-control and all of those things that are part of the mix come together to inform the way we live and, as it turns out, the way we die. It's dark, dark, dark outside. And even in some cases, inside. But be filled appropriately, and it will amaze you how God uses you in the lives of people to connect them with the love and the life of Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you don't know how to get there, we read through that list of those desires of the flesh and you find yourself written all over that. Do you know Jesus Christ? That's the first question because you can't live in the spirit of what he brings in your life if you don't have his life. So we start there and say to you, if you don't know Jesus in a personal way where you have been transformed by his grace, that's where you start. And we'd love to have a conversation with you about that, multiple conversations, if that's what you prefer. But this invitation time we're about to have does exactly that. It gives you that opportunity to begin that process. And I know that in this room, most of us probably have already made that commitment to trust Jesus Christ for our salvation. We know that we have that fire insurance I'm talking about. But it may well be that we are looking to heaven as the ultimate place where we eventually will get around to living like Jesus and having his characteristics. But he says, you have that now. So maybe there's some things in here that you've heard as I read through either one of those lists. And you go, you know what? I, I think I have some room here for growth. Maybe you're the one with the anger problem. You're not the only one, <laughs> but you may be one. And for too long, you've just endorsed that and said, well, that's just, you know, I'm, I'm Irish or I'm bald-headed or whatever your excuse is. So where's Jesus in all of that? Are you filled appropriately in life? Let's pray. And so, Father, we give you this time of invitation. It's yours anyway. We just recognize that what's going on now in the hearts and the thoughts of people in this room, your spirit is at work there somehow. And so we ask you to have your way with us and help us to respond accordingly in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.